Bible, turn with me. You don't have to go far. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2 tonight. Amen. Yes, we get excited about the word. Now, Genesis chapter 2. And as Dakota and Kaylee did a great job telling us where we've been in the series, we asked two questions so far in the series. You guys asked two questions. We've gone to the Bible for two answers. Well, tonight we come to another question. If you're taking notes, I really hope that you are. I'm going to talk very slow and emphasize different things tonight, and I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast this week on this sermon. It's a part one. So the title, if you're taking notes, write this down. If God is good, why does evil exist? If God is good, why does evil exist? Some of you are thinking, Daniel, that's not a daunting task at all. You should have felt good about this. Just put an hour work in and you're fine. This is not hard to answer in any way. If God is good, why does evil exist? Now understand, this is not just a Christianity question. This is a question that philosophers have asked for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. This certainly pertains to Christianity. But this is not just a Christianity question. This is a humanity question. You get what I'm saying tonight? This is a question that we have asked for thousands and thousands of years. Why? Because war has been around for thousands and thousands of years. Betrayal, backstabbing, sickness, illness, storms, all the things that cause hardship for us have been around for a long time. And we as humans have wrestled with this idea, right? And so, as we asked you guys to turn in questions, as I've said a lot over the last week, this was the number one question. It came in a lot of forms. Last week, I gave you the different variations that the prayer question was answered. If I gave you all the variations of how this question was answered, that might be the entire sermon. It was amazing how many of you were very specific in asking this question. No, none of you asked it just like this. This is me summing it up. When you turned it in, it was at least four or five sentences, sometimes two paragraphs, probably more than you do for your discussion board for school. <laughs> and that got somebody, my goodness. <laughs> Here's how this question went. It was specific. It was, if God is good, why did my dad have to pass away for what seemed like no reason when I was only nine years old? If God is good, why did my parents get a divorce before I ever graduated high school? Why did I have to deal with the consequences of their failed marriage? It came in the form of why sickness? Why cancer? Why war? Why poverty? Why betrayal? Why backstabbing? It came in the form of why, and this is very, very current in our culture today, why senseless shootings occur in our nation that seem like they have no rhyme or reason, just pure evil happening. And it was all asked specifically and followed up with, if God is good. If God is good, you fill in blank. See, evil is something that all of us have experienced it. Here's how we experience it. We experience it, first off, globally. Our world just went through a pandemic. You may have lost loved ones to COVID. I lost loved ones to COVID. I lost my grandmother to COVID-19 in October of 2020. Pandemics happen in our world globally, as we've talked about wars, countries fighting, murder. It affects us nationally in terms of slavery and racism and division that we've experienced, the, the history of our nation. There's evil mixed within good. There's evil mixed within our nation. But it also affects us culturally, does it not? Evil affects us culturally. There are a lot of godly cultures you can step into, and then there's a lot of ungodly cultures. And if it's not godly, then it's evil. It's bad because God is good. That's what we all believe in church, right? God is good all the time, all the time. God is good, right? I didn't even grow up in church. I'm not saying. 
It affects us culturally, right? It affects us socially. When a friend group comes together and they strive after the Lord, when somebody starts letting pride into the group or jealousy into the group, what happens? That sin begins to drag that friend group down. And most of all, evil affects us personally, not just on a global scale. It affects us personally. We feel the effects of sin in our lives. See, that's what's amazing. You don't have to talk to a Christian to agree that evil and bad exist. And that's what's very fascinating. So let's begin this study tonight, and we're going to conclude it next week. I want to give you this first. You're going to have a lot of notes to write down tonight. I want you to write this down first on evil. There are essentially three views when it comes to evil. The first one is pantheism, which affirms God, but denies evil. And most of us in the room, maybe unanimously, would say that we would not deny evil. Even if you are not a Christian, we're glad that you're here tonight. We believe in the Word of God. We believe in Jesus Christ and His saving power, that He was fully God, fully man, died on the cross for the sins of the world, and then raised from the dead, freeing us from the chains of the sin of slavery for the slavery of sin that we were in bondage into, and now we have freedom in him. But pantheism affirms God and denies evil. The thing about saying that evil is not real, then why does it hurt so much? You hold your hand on a hot, uh, hot stovetop. You can say all day long, it, it's not that hot, it doesn't hurt, but when you pull your hand off, what do you have? A burn. So if evil is not real, if there's not wrong in our world, if there's not bad, then why do we experience the pain and the hurt and the trauma that we go through? So there's this view on evil, but not just that. Atheism affirms evil and denies God. Very common in our culture today. And there are some out there, some atheists, I'm not going to speak for all, but some atheists, when you have conversations, when you... When you study why they believe what they believe, they say that since evil exists, that means God doesn't exist. But if evil exists and we can know what evil is, can't we know what the opposite of evil is too? I mean, hear me for a minute. If you can know what is bad, that must mean you're comparing it to some kind of what? Good. So how did we get to the conclusion that evil exists, and that disproves God, that must mean there, be, there must be something we're comparing it to, which means there must be something opposite of evil. What is that? C.S. Lewis, many of you may know, was an atheist until he converted to Christianity, and he said this. This is a quote from him about why it stumped him as an atheist. He said, when I was an atheist, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust, of good and bad? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. I've had many conversations with students, especially at the University of Memphis, and one of the questions I always tend to ask is where do we get our understanding of right and wrong from? How can you know right without knowing wrong? How can you know wrong without knowing right? How can you affirm that there is evil but not affirm that there is good? And if that's the case... If we agree that there is a good and there is a bad, then that means you and I, right, follow with me for a minute, are living our lives to a moral standard. There is some unspoken code between us as humans that we all 
live to. If you say there's no objective morality, we still live by that code, though. See, if I come over and step on your toe, you're not going to like that. What a lot of people will say is, hey, how would you like it if I did that to you? What does that mean? That means there's some unspoken agreement that we are not supposed to step on each other's toes, especially without saying sorry. Why? Where did that come from? You didn't have to learn that. Nobody inbred that in you. What is it? It is a moral understanding of how you and I are supposed to treat each other. So what that means ultimately is that if there, there is a higher moral law, there must be a higher moral law giver. That moral law that we live by, that we have deep inside of us, comes from somewhere. Where does it come from? For us, scripturally, the Bible says it comes from the Lord. So scripturally speaking, the fact that we can know evil does not disprove God. In fact, it proves somehow deep down we know what evil is and we also know what good is. So I would say the fact that evil exists almost leads us closer to God's existence than it does push us away from him. And the last one is where a Christian would land, and it's called theism. And this affirms both God and evil. I see a lot of you taking notes. I hope that this benefits you in your journey. This study for me has helped me personally in my own walk in many, many ways. It's been very impactful, but it's also helped me to communicate this to others. As I said, I do hope this begins a conversation for you with other people you may not have before. It cannot end with just a sermon. There's far too much to this for it to just be a sermon. The question is, though, theism. How can this be? Right? You tracking with me? How can this be? This is a complex question. How can there be a God who is good and evil? How can there be a perfect God and evil arise? If God is holy and if God is good, how does his creation have evil in it. Now, let me be very clear on what we're looking to answer tonight because we're not going to answer every question tonight. Here's what I want to answer tonight. Three things that pertain to evil. I'm going to give them to you one, two, three in a minute, but I want you to understand where I'm going. I want to talk about what is evil because a lot of us don't actually understand what it really is. What is it? Number two, where did it come from? How did it originate? And then number three, if God is good, why doesn't he stop it? That's where we're going to land tonight. So if you will, look with me. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 15. It says this, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. Let me pray and then we're going to jump in. Father, we love you. Lord God, we pray that you would remove any distraction from this room in the name of Jesus. Father, we pray that you would bind any spirit of discouragement, any spirit of evil, any spirit of distraction, and that you would bind it in the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the word of God, and the spirit of God, and you would send it from this place wherever Jesus would send it. Father, we pray for complete freedom to be had in this room. We pray that your word would, as always, be clear and not return void. Father, I pray that you would help us to have 
Secondly, a better understanding of the evil in our world, but firstly, a better understanding of how good and how loving and how kind you are. Lord, allow us to see more of you and your goodness as we study the world that we are in today. Father, I pray for anybody in here who does not have a living, active relationship with Jesus, that they would give their life to you tonight. And if that's your prayer, would you say amen? Amen. Let's jump in. Number one, what is the actual nature of evil? What is the actual nature of evil? What is it? I really want to encourage you to review your notes tomorrow morning, to re-listen to this, to talk to your friend group about this sermon. Go deeper than even tonight. But what is the actual nature of evil? Now, Where we're going to begin with this one is we're going to talk about the problem and the argument that non-Christians would have with God and with evil. We're going to talk about the problem and the argument people would have with God and with evil. And so can we put that on the screen? It says, number one, that God created all things. So this is the first argument that we see. I think we have that slide. They'll say, God created all things, evil is something, therefore God did not, therefore God created evil. If we don't have the slide, then we're going to work even harder tonight to not miss this, because the enemy would love to take away what we have tonight. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down with me. I'm going to give it to you word for word. The top portion is correct, the problem argument. Number one, I want you to write this, God created all things. Number one, God created all things. Number two, evil is something. Here we go. We're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. Number two, evil is something. And then number three, therefore, God Created evil, question mark. God bless you. Therefore, God created evil, question mark. Everybody good with your notes? You got that written down? Need me to repeat it? Come on, I'm going to need a little interaction here. We're having media problems. We all good? There we go. We're getting there. So this is the argument that comes with God and with evil. Is that if God created all things and evil is something then that means God created evil. This is the dilemma that we find ourselves in. This is why so many people have a problem sometimes with Christianity. Is how can a good God, how can a loving God have a world and a creation that has evil in it? Now, as we're working on this, I want to give you some scriptures that talk about God and his creation. And the first one is Genesis 1, verse 1. Genesis 1, verse 1 says, anybody know it off the top of their head? In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. When we look at when God created all things, it says that each creation he had was good. Correct? Everything God made, it said that he was good. So how do we live in a world where evil exists? Christians cannot deny that evil is a real thing, yet somehow we have evil in our creation. 
Now, the Bible never says God created anything evil. So if God created good things, how does this exist? The reply to this argument comes down to what evil really is, the nature of it. A lot of people would say that evil is a thing, that it exists by itself, that it is, you have good and you have bad, you have holy and you have evil, and evil exists on its own. What I want to pose to you tonight when you study it is that evil cannot exist as its own thing. Track with me for a moment. That evil cannot be by itself. In order for evil to exist, it must exist in a good thing. For you to have evil, there must be a good thing. Now, I'm going to illustrate this to show you so you understand this. In fact, Augustine said this. This is a really good quote. I want you to write this down. He said, evil is a real lack, privation, or corruption of a good thing. It's a lack or a corruption of a good thing. There has to be a good thing for there to be a corruption. Now, I don't know if you have ever tried to go through your house at night and find a cup of water when it's all dark. For me, I'm an expert at it because I know the layout of my house. I can go through my house, pitch black, eyes closed, blindfolded. I can make it to the sink, get a cup of water, be back in bed two minutes time. I don't know how you are. I got my little house down. You try to do that when you stay the night at somebody else's house. Woo, you bump into everything, do you not? You don't know the layout of the house. You stub your toe, and you hit the corner of the bedpost. I don't know if there's a worse pain than stubbing your toe. You hit the corner of that post. You look down at your toenail. The toenail all bloody, looks bad. Start chipping. You're like, oh, you want want to go home? You don't want to stay at night at your friend's house no more? There's something wrong with what is a good thing. A big toe is a great thing. You got to have a big toe to have balance, Ethan. Otherwise, you're going to be falling over. And this is what I want you to write down. Evil is like a wound in an arm. Evil is similar to a wound in an arm. See, all of us have had a cut. Goodness gracious, some of us have had a paper cut. I don't know what's worse, a cut on your arm or just a paper cut. The size doesn't always determine the pain, amen? In order to have a wound, you have to have an arm, which is a good thing. God gave us arms. We do incredible things with them. Dakota does a lot more than I do with his arms, so praise the Lord for that. Evil is a good thing. Evil has to exist in a good thing. To have a wound, you must have an arm. I'll give you this way. It's similar to this. In order for there to be rot, there must be a tree. Evil is like rot in a tree. One of the things I wrote down when I was studying this is that evil is a corruption of a good thing, the same way that rot is corruption in a good tree. There has to be a good thing in order for evil to exist. An arm is a good thing. A tree is a good thing. A big toe is a good thing. But when you have rot in a tree, that is where the design begins to get skewed. And this is where I want to illustrate this because we're going to build on this all night long. That somebody right now would say, even about Satan, is he totally evil? And one of the guys I've been studying, Norman Geisler, talked about this. And he talked about even when you look at Lucifer, who we know became prideful and fell because he tried to assert himself over God. When you talk about Satan, is Satan totally evil? I love this quote. I think it's very good theologically. It says this. It says, the Bible speaks about Satan as the evil one. You can take a picture of this. In 1 John 5, verse 19, who is a liar by his very nature. Surely there is no good in Satan. 
Is he not totally evil? Now look at this. Yes, he is completely evil in a moral sense, but not in a metaphysical sense. Just like fallen humans still have God's image, even so, Satan has the remnants of good that God gave to him as a created angel. Now, what does that mean? He breaks it down. He gives an example. For example, Satan has good insofar as he is a creature of God. It is not bad or evil to be a creature. Not just that, but he has intelligence and power. Hear me, power is not evil, but the way you use power can be evil. And most of all, free will. Of course, and here's very important to understand this theologically, he uses all these God-given good powers to do what? Evil. He has ever always been on evil, but this is only to say he is totally depraved morally, not that he is totally deprived of all creaturely good metaphysically. And you see that book reference on the bottom is a very good book on this concept. That for you, an arm is a good thing, but when you have a wound, there is a corruption within it. Now that, you have to understand the nature of evil. Evil cannot exist by its own. It cannot just be evil. There must be a lack or there must be a corruption. Now I want to go back because I don't want to, script to, I don't want to skip the script, scripture references. I want to make sure to give these to you because these are about the nature of God. So I want to go to John 1 verse 3 if we can put this on the screen. It says this, All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Colossians 1, verse 16 says this, For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. The idea of evil, scripture speaks on it. Yet in the end, God will win. God is triumphant over evil, no matter how powerful it may look in our world. Romans 5, verse 12 says this. says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. It is not wrong or evil to be a man or to be a woman. It is not wrong or sinful to have an arm or a tree. But when corruption gets in, When sin enters, that's when evil has entered. And I want to illustrate this in a big way with free will in just a moment. The Bible never says God created evil. It does say this, though, in Genesis 1, verse 31. Genesis 1, verse 31. God saw that all he had made, and it was very, what? Good, Good, indeed. Evening came and then morning, the sixth day. And then 1 Timothy 4 Verse 4, said, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So understand this. Can we put our answer for number one on the screen? I think we have this slide. Yeah. God did not create evil. God only created good things. Evil is a real lack or corruption of a good thing. It is not a thing by itself. This is very, very important for my next two questions because every single one of them are building blocks. We're setting one block on the other as we climb a little bit higher to understand what this really means for us. I have preached now 142 sermons for The View. In the last five and a half years, I've preached 142 sermons just for The View, just for Monday nights. And I want to tell you guys, I believe this sermon is one of the most hated sermons by the enemy that I have ever preached here. 
It's not flashy. It's not fancy. It doesn't make you feel good. It doesn't make you laugh. But you know what it is? It is truth that is shedding light on Satan's motives in your life to try to keep you in bondage and keep you in strongholds and to keep you discouraged about our world. He wants to keep you from seeing the light and the victory that is to come because when he does that, you'll turn from God and go to sin. And every time you do, it just drags you down further and further. I think he hates this sermon and I believe the Lord's hand is over what is happening in this room tonight. Let's keep going. So number two, if God did not create evil, where did it come from? Where did it come from? When's the last time you heard this in church? A lot of times we just sum this up and assume we all are on the same page. As we talked about at the beginning of the series, just because we use the same language doesn't mean we have the same meaning. Remember, vacation to me is different than it is to my wife. And when we say evil, when we say the nature of God, we got different definitions going on. Where do we got to get them from? We got to get them from Scripture. So, evil. It can't exist on its own. It's like rot in a tree. It's like a wound in an arm. It has to exist as a corruption or a lack in something. But where did it come from if God did not create it? I want to try this for point two, and it may be my error in how I turned in my notes, but this is the problem and argument of evil's origin. Fantastic. So this is what someone would say against God. I spent time many times around people who do not believe in the God of the Bible. And this is what they would say about what we're talking about tonight. And we're going to revise it at the end of the point. So they would say, number one, God is absolutely perfect. So if you're a believer and you believe in the Bible, would we say that this is true? It's not a trick question. Some of you are like, oh, define perfect. Define God. Define is. You know, like this is this is a trick question. All right, so the first thing is God is absolutely perfect. We would agree scripturally that God is perfect. Number two. God cannot create anything imperfect. <laughs> right? It's one thing for us to talk about it in here. It's another thing when you get into a conversation with your coworker that doesn't believe the same thing as you. But this is what they would say. God is absolutely perfect. Okay, God cannot create anything imperfect. So that means, number three, a perfect creature cannot do evil. Question mark. Right? Look, let's build on it. So God's perfect. He can't create anything imperfect. And that means a perfect creature cannot do evil. So that would lead to number four. Therefore, evil cannot arise in such a world. You know what I'm saying, Nate? Like this right here ain't wrong. This this simple right here. If a perfect creature cannot do evil because God can't create anything perfect because he's perfect, therefore evil should not arise. And this is where a lot of people in our world would land with number five. But evil did arise in this world. So does that mean God does not exist? Does that mean God's not real? Let's pick this apart. Someone asked me one time, he said, why didn't God create better creatures? You ever gotten asked that question? You ever thought about that question? Why didn't God create better creatures? Why didn't he create creatures who would never sin? Right? Two-thirds of the angels didn't fall with Lucifer, right? So why weren't all the angels just made like the ones who didn't fall? I've been asked, no joke, genuinely, sincerely, by a college student, why did God not create a better Adam and Eve? who would not have sinned. Why didn't he make them better? And we've wrestled with that. Like, we've thought about that. So, with this right here, for the Christians in the room, we would agree with number one, and we would agree with number two, theologically, that God is perfect, and God cannot create anything imperfect. 
I don't think you can disagree with either one of those. But what about number three? And I want you to think for a minute. Some of y'all have been living this life even longer than I have. Is number three true? That a perfect creature cannot do evil? Well, let's pick this apart. From a Christian point of view, this can't be true. Because God created a perfect archangel named Lucifer who sinned. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6 says this. If we can find 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. He says, he must not be a new convert or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil who was an angel and chose pride and fell. So how does a perfect creature do evil? How does that happen? The answer is found in free will. If you're taking notes, write that down. Free will. Hear me for a minute. Free will is a good thing. Remember our point one, Sam. All things that God created were what? Good. Not just Sam. I felt like I was just asking you, but I know that you're with me, so I appreciate that, Sam. God created all things, and they were good. Amen. Free will is a good thing. God created free will, and he has given it to us. None of us in here would say that freedom is bad. You never, when you see protests, you never see people marching with signs that say, down with liberty. Back to bondage. Back to bondage. You never see people saying, I only want to do what the government tells me to do. You never see people wanting out of freedom. We march for freedom. We want it. So if it's good to be free, how is it possible? Now, can we go back to the argument that we just had on the screen, the one, two, three, four, five? What we're going to do is we're going to revise this a little bit. We're going to change this. These question marks, we're going to remove these. So let's go to this. Let's revise it. Number one, God created only good things. We've, we've agreed on that tonight. Number two, one good thing God created was free will. Number two is one good thing God created was free will. You have to understand that free will is the ability to choose. Free will means there's a choice. There's a decision involved. Free will is a good thing that God created. Free will is not bad. None of us would say free will is bad. But number three, and this is very big, and I hope that you're tracking with me. If not, I promise you, don't feel bad. The podcast will be up this week, and we want to have more conversation about this. But free will makes evil possible. Free will, which is a good thing, makes evil a possibility. Because you have a choice. A and B on this says it's the, it's the power to do otherwise. That's what free will is. And B, which means to do otherwise than good, is evil. So where you land on this theologically is that number four, a perfect creature can do, a perfect free creature can do evil. Free will. Lucifer had free will. You have free will. In this world and in our bodies and in our lives, we are free to love or to hate. I know this in how you guys talk about restaurants. You either hate a place or love a place, man. You can't just be indifferent about it. It's crazy. We are free to love. We are free to hate. Nobody in this room can disagree with that. 
We are free to praise God. We are free to curse God. You are free to love your neighbor. You are free to treat them poorly. You have a choice. You have free will. That is a good thing that God has created. If you don't have the choice to disobey God, do you really have the choice to obey him? If you don't have the choice to love God, is it really a choice at all? See, what we find when you study this is that freedom makes choosing to love real. Freedom makes choosing to love real. When it comes to God, I love this quote. So we've revised this argument a little bit. Here's that quote that I just put up. Any freedom that doesn't allow you to choose between good or bad is not actual freedom. So free will is a good thing. You have a choice. It makes evil possible because you can choose between good or bad. So you have freedom. And I love this quote. It says, apart from the saints in heaven who have it relatively, only God absolutely has the freedom not to choose evil. The highest freedom is the freedom from evil, not in the freedom of just doing it. Here on earth, while we're still making our ultimate choice of either doing our will or God's will, we must have a choice. Otherwise, we are robots and we are puppets. Don't tell me that you cannot agree with this statement, college students, because if somebody comes to you tomorrow and says, hey, you are marrying me and loving me no matter what, sorry about it, you're not going to go for that. You put way too many expectations on the person you're going to end up with. You got dream guy and dream girl in mind and you're not settling. <laughs> You know exactly what you want. Why? Because you got a choice. You have standards. <laughs> and ain't nobody going to override your free choice to choose who you're going to marry. We have free will. Watch. Free will is a good thing. Free will is a good thing that was created by God. But free will allows the possibility of evil to occur. Otherwise, it's not really freedom. So when Satan chose to sin against God, he used free will which is a good thing, in an evil way, which was to assert himself over God. No one's to blame except Satan for his sin. He's not. Sin is a self-caused thing. Nobody makes you sin. Nobody makes you do evil. You and I, as Lucifer does, we choose sin. When we're privately in our in our moments alone, away from people, we choose to look at things on our phone. We choose to engage in stuff with our boyfriend and girlfriend that is wrong, that is sin. We make those choices. Nobody makes those choices. Colossians, I love you, and God loves you more. But I want to tell you, you can't blame God for your sin. And you can't blame him for tempting you because James tells us that God is not tempted by evil, and he doesn't tempt anyone. God will test you. But with every test God brings, Satan brings a temptation. There's never a time, never, when God is letting you go through a test that Satan does not bring a temptation with it. Jesus encountered that in Luke chapter 4 in the desert. He had temptation from the enemy. So that means, here's this quote, a stunningly beautiful and extremely powerful creature fell when he made himself, rather than God, the object of his adoration, not adoption, that's a typo, my bad, <laughs> autocorrect, I probably misspelled adoration, I was trying to figure it out, I was like, how do I spell this, adoration, worship, praise, whatever you want to put right there, not adoption, 
So let me put our answer on the screen for number two. Building blocks, building blocks. Here's our answer. God is not the cause or blame for sin. When a creature like Lucifer, Lucifer used the good power of free will to choose evil, evil arose. Now, let me recap because we're going into the last question. Let me recap for a minute. Evil exists in our world. We feel it. It's hurtful. It's painful. We don't like it. All of us, Christian or not, want to get away from suffering. It discourages us in our life. Evil is real. Evil does not disprove God. The fact that we can know evil should push us to realize that we can know good. And if we can know evil and we can know good, where does that good and evil come from? Just your parents? Just your neighbor? Just you? I would argue otherwise. A higher moral law must mean a higher moral law what? Giver. Right? So we're on the same page. Now, what is evil? Evil cannot exist in its own. It must be a corruption or a lack in a good thing. So God creating evil does not theologically make sense. God did create a good thing, and he blessed you with a good thing because he loves you. He blessed you with free will. Free will to have a life, to have a life, to make choices, to choose between careers, to choose between places to live, people to marry, friends to have. He's given you free will. And with free will, in order for you and me to be blessed with free will, to even have a choice in this world, to not be robots or puppets, that means to have the choice to obey God, we must have the choice to disobey. To have the choice to love him, we must have the choice to hate him. So free will is not a bad thing. So just like, watch this, just how evil is like a wound in an arm. Evil is a corruption in our free will because we are making choices that don't align, watch this, with God's will. Freedom allows us to choose. So now, here's where we land. This is where most of us really ask the question. Like, we know what evil is. We know God didn't create it. Well, number three, if God is good, why does he not destroy it? Why does he not stop it? And some of you are like, Daniel, I'm with you 100% tonight. I get what you're saying theologically about evil being created. About how it's a corruption and God didn't create it. I get what you're saying. I'm with you. But why doesn't God stop it? It's like nails on a chalkboard. We've all asked this question. Why does God not stop suffering? Why does evil continue to happen in our world? I don't know if there's anything more heartbreaking than watching one of your loved ones pass away slowly inside of a hospital. I don't know if there's anything more heart-wrenching than getting on the news and seeing some of the evil that occurs in our world and in our nation. The crime, the hate, the violence, the division. I don't know what's worse than your closest best friend stabbing you in the back and leaving you out to dry. So why doesn't God put a stop to it? Why do we still hear? Some of you have had this question and me and myself, just as a preacher or a pastor, I can't give you, I can't impart to you any sympathy just from me because why? Sometimes knowing the truth doesn't make it hurt any less. But why doesn't God stop it? Why is it happening? Here's the argument. Now, I'm telling you guys, 
as you go into your 20s, you are going to have this conversation with people who don't believe in Jesus Christ and don't believe in God. You're going to have this argument posed to you. The question is, will you be ready to talk about it? This is a common argument I have personally gotten about Christianity and about the God of the Bible. It says this, if God is all good, he would destroy evil. That's our question. That if God's good, why is evil happening? If God is all good, he would destroy it. Not just that, but number two, if God is all powerful, he could destroy evil. So Cody, you're tracking with me right here? So God would have the desire if he's good, and if he has the power, then he has the ability. Now, theologically, we all believe scripturally that God is all good and God is all powerful. We believe these. Now, number three, but evil is not destroyed. Daniel, I have been through stuff in my life where I have seen evil firsthand. Some of you could tell me horror stories of things you've been through in your life with your family, with hardships. Some of you have been through some stuff in this room. I understand that. So none of you would look at me and say, yeah, evil's completely gone in our world. So number three, evil is not destroyed. So does that mean number four, therefore no such God exists? That if he would have the desire and he could do it, yet it's still happening, then is there really a God out there who is good and who is powerful? See, watch this. That's a big reason why we have so many false gods over the thousands and thousands of years mythology and, and all these false gods that were made. Why? Because a lot of them were not completely perfect. A lot of them had their own flaws, even in themselves, which makes it a little bit easier for us as humans to sleep at night if we can justify evil by the fact that either God isn't completely good, he's flawed like me, so maybe he wrestles with this too. Or, number two, we get to this point where we say, you know what, God isn't all-powerful. He can't do it. So it's the world we live in. Or we get where a lot of people spend the rest of their lives because they can't explain this. They don't understand this. They don't understand why evil is so persistent in our world if God's good and if God's powerful. So they land on number four. They teach their children number four. They teach it in schools number four because they don't go any further than this portion right here. There are families, there are generations in our country that have built their entire life and belief system on this. And you and I want to come in here and joke around on Monday nights and joke around about the Bible and, and pump it up sermons and make you feel good? No, there are families whose generations are being destroyed because they can't explain evil. They don't understand it, so they just assume there is no God and they make themselves God. And if you and me are not careful, we can be that or we can live in neighborhoods for the next 60 years with people who believe this right here. And you're going to spend the next 60 years trying to convince them that God's good. But if you and me don't know how scripturally, then we're not putting in the effort to love our neighbor. Amen. If our neighbors have these questions and we don't put in the work to know the answers, do we really love them? I get the idea of drop a pie off at the front door and encourage them. That's great. Great to love them and handshake them. But when you have a neighbor who wants an answer to this and you and me can't verbalize some sort of theological response to it, we just say, well, you know, God's good. We're not loving our neighbor. So my question to you is if you're sitting there right now as an 18 to 25-year-old and you don't know where to go from here, praise God. 
But would you and I be willing enough to take the steps in church to learn it so that we can impart it? Now walk with me. Everything we have talked about tonight has built to this. How can God be all good and all powerful, yet evil is not destroyed? So does he exist? Here we go. This is a challenge on God. Let's go back to freedom. Let's go back to free will. And let's focus on the idea of destroying. What a lot of people use, they use that language. To destroy, do you know what it means? To destroy means to completely obliterate. means to take out 100%. In our lives, we want suffering and we want evil destroyed. We want it gone. We don't want any uncomfortability, we don't want any suffering, and we want all the hardships to stop. I get that. Here's my question to you, and I want you to think about this. It's what I've meditated on for almost 12 days. Is it really possible to destroy evil without destroying freedom? Is it really possible to destroy evil without destroying freedom? What I would pose to you is that God cannot destroy evil without destroying freedom as well. Now, some of you say, hold on, Daniel, God can do all things. God can do everything. Is that theologically true? Scripture would say otherwise. And hear me for a minute. God cannot lie. The Bible says that God cannot lie. Which is amazing because for the rest of your life, you're going to have people lie to you. You're going to lie to people. But God cannot lie. There is something God can't do, and it's lie. Hebrews 6, verse 18, if we can put that on the screen, says this. So that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. God cannot lie. Now, this opens up a possibility. This means God cannot do something that goes against his nature. Walk with me. God cannot go against his own will. Why? Because his will is perfect, as is his nature. It's perfect. Why he can't lie? Because lying is a corruption in truth. In order for you to lie, that must mean there must be a truth. You cannot tell a lie without there being a truth. So God can't go against his own will. Now, college students, hear me. It is God's will for you to have freedom. Like, it is God's will for you to have a choice. It is God's will for you to have a life where you get to choose to love and where you get to choose to curse. This statement, I think, captures it better than anything else. God cannot force anyone to freely accept him. That is a contradiction. That statement does not make sense. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him, God cannot force anyone to freely accept him. 
Forcing is not freedom. Forced freedom is a contradiction. Which leads to Matthew 23, 37, which is the words of Jesus. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often, look at what Jesus said, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But look at this last statement. Jesus says, but you were not willing. Jesus said, I wanted you to come to know the Father. I wanted you to stop stoning the prophets who came to you to tell you to choose. And they said, you weren't willing. You wanted sin, you wanted the world, you wanted idolatry, and what you wanted was given over to you because you had a choice. In order for God to destroy, obliterate evil, he would have to destroy your free will. And that's not a loving God. That is an overbearing, forceful God who's forcing you to love him. Man, I'm telling you, because we're building to the same thing we built to for 2,000 years, which is the cross. <laughs> because now that leads us to a great question. Let's change destroy to defeat. Let's change the language for a minute here. Let's change destroy to defeat. Because defeat means something a little different. Defeat means to triumph over, to conquer, to disable. So this poses the question, can God defeat evil without destroying our free will? Like, Chauncey, it's an amazing question. Like, can God defeat sin? Can God defeat the evil of this world and still allow you to have the choice to love and to praise or to hate and to walk away? How can he defeat evil and allow you to have your freedom? Watch this. This is the way you begin to see the glory of God's plan. Because the Bible says that God is not just all good or all powerful. It says that he is all-knowing. You and me are not that much knowing. We're not. We're not. We don't know that much. We have a whole lot of information from social media. We don't know a whole lot. We don't know a whole lot of good, a whole lot of wisdom, but we know a lot. God is all-knowing. Look at this. I'll show you Isaiah 46. Verse 10 says, I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago what is not yet done, saying my plan will take place and I will do all my will. Revelation 13, verse 8 says this, All those who live on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world and the book of life of the Lamb who was slaughtered. Acts 2, verse 20, 23 says this, Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him, Jesus, to a cross and kill him. And then I'll show you 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 25 to 28, for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. For he must reign. Let's go back to that verse 25. It says, for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. Verse 26 says this, the last enemy to be abolished, to be abolished is death. Verse 27 says this. For God has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says everything is put under him, it is obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. And verse 28 says, when everything is subject to Christ, then the son himself will, who will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him so that God may be all in all. So God is all-knowing. Which means God knows the end game. God knows what's going to happen. God knows the story. God knows. So, 
the Bible says evil is not yet fully defeated in our world. But just because something has not yet fully happened does not mean it never will. I'll be honest, some of you are checking your watch and you're like, I don't know if Daniel's going to finish the sermon tonight. We might be here all night. But just because I have not yet ended my sermon does not mean I won't at some point. (laughs) Tomorrow morning. (laughs) When you watch a basketball game and you're in the third quarter, it does not make sense to say the game will never end just because it hasn't ended yet. What do you have to do? You give it time. There is a clock There is a plan happening. There is an end date. And I want to pose to you, college students, that we have no knowledge of the future, but God does. God knows the timeline. We cannot say that evil will never be defeated fully in this world just because it hasn't happened yet. Now, that changes a lot of things for us. Just because it's not fully defeated doesn't mean it's going to happen. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen. So I want to give you this. The verdict says this, and you can take a picture of it. It's my last quote for you. That God has not yet defeated evil does not mean he never will. Further, if God is all good and wants to defeat evil and all powerful can defeat evil, then it is a certainty that evil will one day be defeated. Why? Look at this. This is so important because God can and wants to do it. Therefore, we believe in faith that he will. Since God is also all-knowing, he surely knows that evil will be defeated. It is highly unlikely, given these attributes, that God would have created such a world as ours if he did not know in advance that evil would be defeated. And this is exactly what the Bible says he will do. When Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross, the perfect paradox occurred. Look at how it builds to the cross. How can God defeat evil and not destroy your free will? The answer is the cross. The answer is the Son of God. The answer is found in Jesus. See, that's why we place our faith in Jesus. It is not just a name we take in vain. It is not just about putting verses on coffee mugs. It is that on the cross, when God took your penalty, what nailed Jesus to the cross is what freed you and me. That in that moment, when he paid the price for your sin, you now have the freedom from sin to approach the throne boldly, to worship God fully, to talk to him. There is no priest needed. There is no mediator on this earth needed. You now have freedom to approach God. But the Bible says his plan is not done yet. As Jesus came once, died rose from the dead, and ascended. The Bible teaches that Jesus will what? Come back again. Why does evil still happen in our world? Because God's plan is not fully finished. But we have sure seen a lot of it. And that's where I would land with the final stance on this. I'll put this on the screen. That if there is an all-good God, he wants to defeat evil. If there is an all-powerful God, he can defeat evil. We know its origin. We know where it came from. We know he didn't create it. So why is he not doing something about it right now? It seems he is. His plan is in effect. Number three, but evil in our world is not yet fully defeated. We still suffer. But based on what we believe about the Bible and about God, then that means, number four, Therefore, evil 
will one day be defeated. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. The fact that evil will be conquered fully in this world, that you and I as believers in Jesus Christ will escape, will escape fully from suffering one day because of our Lord Jesus Christ that we get to praise. That means all the sickness and all the slavery and all the hardships and all the betrayal and all the gossip and all the murder and all the shootings and all the evil things we see in our world are coming to an end because God's plan is not fully accomplished yet. We are still here and our purpose is to go tell people about the plan that we are witnessing. Doesn't make evil any easier to take in. It still hurts. But through faith, we know that there is a plan, and we cling to God in him because there is victory in none other than the name of Jesus. Do you have faith? Do you have faith in God based on truth, based on what we know from the Bible, and based on what we know from everything around us? Do you have faith in a way where you can help somebody else?